My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater bringing you another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. Now, before we get into today's episode, I have to express my gratitude to you that you're listening today. As of this month, I will have been putting episodes out for three years, and what a wonderful creative journey this has been. I've reconnected with a lot of old friends, made a lot of new ones, and I hope I have enriched your respect of the art of theater to some capacity. If nothing else, I hope I entertained you for a while. And thanks again for the last three years. Okay, this is another episode in the Shakespeare Adapted series, and we're putting under the microscope modern adaptations of what many believe is the greatest love story ever told, Romeo and Juliet. I say it many times in this episode, when I first started to look into this, I was simultaneously surprised and not surprised by the number of times this has been adapted in some way or another. I was surprised simply by the sheer number, but I was also not so surprised, as for some reason or another, it seems that everyone wants to put their fingerprints on this show. I've fallen guilty to the urge myself in my directing career, as you'll hear about in this episode. But let's get into it. I actually did interviews with three separate guests for this episode. Up first, returning to the show again, is my son, Ethan, who just loves to talk about theater stuff with his dad. Oh, and he wants to assure everybody that since the last episode, he has grown a little bit and his voice has changed, if you know what I mean. Okay, next, uh, getting that aside. For the first half of the episode, I get everyone on a level playing field and describe just the plot of Romeo and Juliet, as Ethan has never seen a version of it before. Next, we'll hear a snippet from my guest on my previous episode, Dr. Paul Gagliardi, and we briefly chat about the nature of the, air quotes, romance that is Romeo and Juliet. Then, finally, we hear from my good old friend and college buddy, Lindsay Robert, who has had an acting career many could aspire to. Lindsay and I discuss two of the better film adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, so you'll have to stick around to the end to see what we picked. But for now, let's sit down with Ethan and begin today's episode, Shakespeare Adapted, Romeo and Juliet. Hey, Ethan. Welcome back. Hi. How's it going? Good. Going back to school in a couple days. Yeah, that's true. Ugh. Well, I shouldn't say that as your parent. That sounds really irresponsible of me. 
But hey, you're back here on the show. And really, what we're talking about today are times when a great classic play, it's felt the need to redo it for some reason. Like, it gets done all the time, right? I mean, we've been to see Shakespeare in the Park a lot of times. We see yeah. different productions of things, you know? Yeah. And it's never a big deal when it's like, oh, no, I've already seen Hamlet. It can't be done again, right? However, that does happen in movies. Ah. Uh, right? Okay. I see. You see what we're talking about? Like, I see. how you can have people who are like, there can't ever be another Indiana Jones. There can't ever be another Ray Skywalker. Shut up, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> So anybody's talking about that. Nope, nobody's that's not a discussion at this point. But that's fantastic. But you're right. You're right. It, it, that that's where people will be like, no, we can't have another Luke Skywalker. Anyway, we can have a better Luke Skywalker. We don't have a good enough Darth Vader. Yeah, yes, we say. don't have a good. Oh my god, we don't have a good enough Darth Vader. <laughs> no. Actually, no, we don't have a bad enough Darth Vader okay, to match I like the that. Luke I like Skywalker. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, but it does happen. And the st the story we're going to talk about today is Romeo and Juliet. Okay, I haven't seen any no. of that. And I could show you the Wikipedia page. For the number of times it has been retold in film and television, it's obnoxious. It, there's so many. There's so many times, and I talk about it a lot on this show. Uh, what makes a play a classic play is that there's still something as it goes through the ages that's still relevant to each time period it goes through. Ah, uh... <laughs> so okay, so you you know as a love story. I know it as a love story where basically, uh, I think they suicide because I think the other person died. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you have that idea. I have that idea. Okay. I don't know much other than that. Okay, okay, tell me then, why is that the great love story? Two people fall in love and they think the other one's dead so they kill themselves? I don't really think that's romantic. No? Because I'm a 13-year-old. <laughs> Well, you might be barking completely up the wrong tree here. That is so, true. Okay, here, I'll do this for you. I directed this several years ago, and one thing that I enjoyed, and I put this in my uh, playbill, I said, if you listen to the prologue, the play starts with kind of like a Greek chorus, but they condense it into one character, but sometimes it's it depends on the director, right? And this is what the prologue says. I'll read it word for word here, Okay. Two a long, long time ago. <laughs> the galaxy far, far away. <laughs> no, here it goes. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end not could remove, is now the two hours traffic of our stage, the which, if you with patient ears attend, what here shall miss, our toil shall strive to mend. Uh, What'd you get out of that? I got, you bury your parents and then they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Not quite. <laughs> okay, so the funny thing is, this prologue actually tells you everything that's going to happen in the play. Oh. Right? Okay. I had, I Here. have no memory Here, no, of no, it no, anymore. Listen. No, check this out. Two households. So it's like two big houses. Both are like... A brother from another mother? Kind of, sure. <laughs> I mean, if you think of it like... Um, Oh, like in 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 uh, in Lord of the Rings, when all of the hobbits come and they visit, um, uh, and there's different families, right? Uh huh. So it's like the different families, right? So there are two families. I remember they... one was Bloodfoot. Yeah, there you go. Proudfoot. <laughs> Proudfoot. Yeah. Proudfoot. Anyway, and pardon me, my listeners, I have this terrible cold right now, but uh, <laughs> he's, like... he's still getting over it. I sure am. <laughs> anyway, so you've got two households, and they're both you know, big and they're fancy and everything. And they have this old fight. Just, they don't like each other. And it goes back generations. And they don't know why they're fighting. There's just this thing between the two families. And they're like, I hate you. Well, I hate you. Yeah, let's fight. I have a guess. Mm-hmm. I bet Romeo is on one side. Juliet is on the other. Oh, you. Yep, exactly. How about How that? did I oh, Family strong. Anyway. Oh no, my so, pa- my yeah. pa- the, your parents don't like me. Cause yeah, I, exactly. Because I'm a human. <laughs> yeah. I'm a human of the other team. So basically, it says the only thing that could bring them together was these kids dying. That's how old are they? Oh, I'm getting there. Oh, <laughs> and you're gonna be like, what? Okay, this is great. If right. if they're thirteen, I I'm I. <laughs> One of them is. <laughs> so, you want me to tell you the, the, the story of Romeo and Juliet? Just kind of the plot line? Just give me it nice and the simple. bare bones, no problem. Okay, so, you got that prologue at the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning of the play, there's basically a fight between the house, the members of the house of Capulet and the uh, members of the house of Montague. So, those are the two houses, Capulet and Montague. And the prince, who is basically like the sheriff in this play, the prince of Verona... Like, goes, hey, stop it. Everybody stop it and go home. Go home, you're drunk. Uh-huh. And then uh, Romeo shows up right after that. Romeo is the son of Lord and Lady Montague. Okay? So he's he's the son of the heads of the house. Daddy issues. Uh, <laughs> Juliet is the daughter of Lord and Lady Capulet. So she's, you know, second down from the most powerful people, right? Ooh. Okay. Romeo... Has just gone through a breakup. Oh no! I know, poor guy, and he is bummed. He is so bummed out. No, he's a prince. He was only rich and has money. But he's not even the prince. The prince is actually more like the sheriff in this thing. But these two families basically run the town. But you're right. He's like the prince of an empire. Oh, but this girl broke up with me. How am I ever going to get over it? I'm nice and pretty. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Yeah. So the that. woman that I loved is ugly, and they only wanted me oh, to no. Oh, no. Oh, he is so wrapped up about Rosalind. That's her name. Ro- Rosaline. Rosalind, however you want to say it. Rosillian? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, you know what happens? His friend Benvolio says, hey, let's go to a party tonight. I hear the Capulets are throwing a party. We can dress up like them and get in. No problem. Man, this is this is giving me idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get their really mischievous friend Mercutio involved. Man, if I if this was set in a Harry Potter scene, they would fit perfectly right. Right, now. right. Like swapping houses and stuff. 
where like Harry and Ron switch with two Slytherin boys, and then they right? go into the Ooh, and they sneak in, yeah, because they're idiots. Yeah, because they're idiots. Uh-huh. Now, elsewhere in town, Lord Capulet is basically trying to s- not sell off his daughter, but arrange a marriage with somebody who he approves of. This guy's name is Paris. It's just like selling off trade-off <laughs> items. Right. It's just like, hey, you want this? You have to pay me $10 billion. Yeah, you want my daughter? You gotta work for it. You want my iron uh-huh. or you're gonna have to pay 10 gold. Okay. So, at this party, Romeo and Benvolio and Mercutio get in after some scenes about Mercutio making fun of Romeo for being so sick in love with Rosalind. He's like, oh, you have- Shut up! Exactly, exactly. Shut up, you don't know how I feel. Dude, no. we know exactly how you feel. Rock bottom, we've never had a girlfriend. Now, here we go. <laughs> At this party, I mean, you see it in so many movies. It's that scene where the boy is on one side of the room and the girl's on the other side of the room and they lock eyes and they drift close together. And uh, they just immediately fall in love right there and kiss right then. And then, uh-oh, it's almost like this the clock in Cinderella's chimes start and everything. And, and oh, I forgot to tell you about this. Juliet has a cousin named Tybalt. And Tybalt basically wants to kill anybody with the name of Montague. Then he finds out that Romeo has kissed his cousin and basically wants to kill him there at the at the party. Hey, if he has a knife, I can do it for him. There we go. Done. We got it. Like, I'm so small and so nimble yeah. that no one will know. But Lord Capulet sees this and is like, chill out. You're not doing this at my party. Knock it off. So, party ends. Everybody's going home. Romeo stays behind because he's like, I bet I can find more time with Juliet. Ooh. This, girls. this is where the balcony scene takes place. Shit. Oh my god. But you know you know about the balcony scene though, right? Uh kind what of. What soft, what light, through yonder window breaks. It is the To be or to not to be. <laughs> yeah, you're getting your Shakespeare mixed in here. That's a little bit sadder story than this one, in my opinion. But Anyway, Romeo ends up underneath her balcony and they're kind of whispering to each other and they profess their love for each other and Romeo gets this idea. Oh my gosh. We should kiss. No, we should get married. Okay, dude, that's that's a little bit too far. Well, I mean, it wasn't... I mean, we need to know her age. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. It wasn't unusual for people at this time in, in the Renaissance to profess marriage at this time it is suggested that Romeo is 16 and that Juliet is 13. I already knew it. <laughs> I knew that. I knew it. The guy gotta be a creep on a younger girl. Yeah. That's always how love stories work. <laughs> Let's think about it. Leo Organa is like maybe like 20. Hans maybe 30. Yeah, that is true. Oh my gosh. You keep coming back to Star Wars. Today. I know. That's okay. I, know. That's I just a, can't get out of my it's a, good, it's a good point of reference, though. Okay, so, Romeo goes to a friend of his, Friar Lawrence. You know, man of the cloth, holy Wait, man. Wait, McDuck? No! <laughs> Friar Lawrence is asked by Romeo, will you marry me and Juliet today? So Friar Lawrence says, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But 
I'm, I'm not really cool with the idea, but maybe it'll finally put an end to this fight between your families. Probably won't, because... No, you don't think so? Uh, On his way out, Tybalt finds Romeo and challenges him to a duel. And they set it up. It's going to happen later on, right? Eventually, through, you know, little uh, little messages sent back and forth between Romeo and Juliet, they finally meet up. Hey, stop passing notes in class. And then they get married. Oh, no. 16. Who could have seen this coming? I met her at a dance and she was the one. She was the only one. Let's get married. I don't care that our families are feuding. That's a little bit of a problem. A little bit? Like, hey, my dad wants to kill your dad and your dad wants to kill my dad. Hey, it's harmony. Let's, let's, let's hook up. Okay. <laughs> let's hold hands and all no. that. When it comes to this duel, that Tybalt has proposed and Romeo has accepted. Shing. No, Romeo cuts off a lot no. of hair. <laughs> there you go. That's it. No, now Romeo, he can't say it. He can't tell anybody that he's married, so he can't tell Tybalt he's married to Tybalt's cousin and therefore considers himself Tybalt's cousin. But he's like, "Look, listen, bud. I know we used to fight, but uh, I love you more than you can understand." He's lying. No, heesn't not lying. He's oh, absolutely serious because he's so head over heels in love. And now, you know, love, love, love. Oh, we're family. So we have to love each other, right? And then the parents are going to kill the daughter. No. Just joking. <laughs> just like inner, inner, inner sleep. Just he will Dad never know. Never know. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's where you get Romeo 2. Romeo's revenge. <laughs> and then Romeo 3, Juliet's actually alive. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, all right, so check this out. So Romeo refuses to fight Tybalt. Tybalt doesn't take that refusal and attacks Romeo. And Mercutio gets in between them. And he gets stabbed and goes off stage and dies. So Rome, one of Romeo's best How many friends. deaths are in this movie? Oh, it's got a body count, dude. It's got a body count. Is okay. it higher than John Wick's? No. Then it's not trying. No pencils. <laughs> um, he so, killed the man with a pencil. Now check this out. 16-year-old Romeo, knowing that his friend Mercutio is dead, then kills Tybalt out of rage. I guess he doesn't Romeo love, raids again. I guess he doesn't love him that much. Romeo's knocking over buildings. <laughs> Romeo raids again. Uh -huh. Okay, now... Romeo takes off and goes into hiding, but the prince finds out about this, and he demands that Romeo is exiled from Verona. Ah, hey, you can't do that. Right, exactly, right? Hey, that's not good for human rights. Uh-huh. Yep. So the nurse finds out. The, uh, the nurse is like Juliet's uh, personal assistant, and she's a lot older, and, and is really more of a mother figure to her than anything. So the nurse finds out about this, all this, has to give the news to Juliet that Romeo killed her cousin and that he is now exiled. Well, this is so funny. Both Romeo and Juliet act more upset that they can't be together than the fact that Romeo is now a wanted murderer. So, even through all this, Romeo is going to try to make it to find Juliet so they can be together on their wedding night. Because it is... It's their wedding day! All of this has happened on their wedding day. They got married... Romeo refused the duel. Mercutio gets killed. Tybalt gets killed. Romeo is exiled. It's okay. All that we're going to set aside so we can have a nice wedding night. 
if Romeo's not doing it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. So, after Romeo spends the night, he takes Friar Lawrence's advice and flees to another Italian city called Mantua. After that, you know, the Capulets have no idea that their daughter is married. So they've already been arranging with this Paris that he's going to marry her. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Okay. So Wee wee baguette. Wee wee. Okay. No, he's not a French Paris. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang he it. He is Paris, like in the story of uh, Helen of Troy. Uh, he's going to steal the girl. When is that ever worse? Yeah. Yeah. Let's read, think about read that. Read your Iliad and your namesake, doofus. All right. So now Juliet is kind of like freaking out. Okay. She's like, oh my God, they're going to force me to marry somebody, but I'm already married. Uh, what, what do I do? So she goes to Friar Lawrence, asks him for some help. Do you want to know what the suggestion is? What? Okay. Juliet, I'm Friar Lawrence. Get some therapy. <laughs> no no here's what he says i got it we can find somebody who will concoct a sleeping potion so powerful that you will appear dead and once you're dead you and romeo can go just disappear off into the world wait because she'll come back alive wait but if she's dead no she won't be dead you'll she'll... stay in the goddamn grave right You'll be six feet under the ground. Well, the, the thing is, the family has like their own tomb. So they, yeah. Anyway. So they just put her on a stretcher and put her in there. Just nicely rest her against a mm-hmm. rock. Bud. Yeah. <laughs> so Juliet takes his potion. It appears dead. Everybody thinks she's dead. And Paris is like, oh, the woman who's got to be my wife. Oh. So anyway. Romeo hears about this in Mantua. Oh, no. Yeah. Anyway. Romeo hears about this in Mantua, and he gets really upset. Juliet's dead. No. So he goes to what is called an apothecary, basically a pharmacy. He, he has the, the, the apothecary make a poison so strong that it will kill him in like a minute. And then he's going to take it, and he's going to get into Juliet's tomb. He's going to... Drink it and lie by her side forever. I can see where that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> one of many. Just one of many. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I'm drinking this poison so I can be with my dead wife, even though that she's 13. It's okay. kind of weird. Now, this whole time, Friar Lawrence has written a secret letter to Romeo, but it never got to him. Because he's in griefing. About oh, kind of. Well, it's just um, bad timing, really. So yeah, Romeo goes to the graveyard. Oh, there's Paris mourning. Eh, they get in a fight. He kills Paris. Drags Paris into the tomb with him. Ah, no. Wee wee. And here it goes. He goes to Juliet's body. He's crying over her. He gives a big speech. With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Wrong speech. (laughs) Both of them have great power and are not getting very responsible whatsoever. Anyway. So what is this Spider-Man three now? Oh, it's not even close. Um, so, so I almost said, so Spider-Man drinks the poison. Nope. <laughs> so Romeo, Romeo drinks the poison and says to Juliet, thus with a kiss, I die. Kisses her lips and falls over dead next to her. The next second Juliet wakes up. 
And what is this up, poison on my lips? And then, yeah, right. <laughs> but then she wakes up and sees Romeo dead next to her, and she weeps for a bit, realizes she's in the tomb, the whole plan is unraveling, and her the love of her life is dead. Oh no! So you know what she, she only does? drank an entire potion of yeah. poison. Well, you know what she does then? Stab. She takes his dagger, stabs herself in the heart, and dies right next to him. As if that was romantic. Right? I give you my life. Anyway. Why would you want to give someone your life? You can get another girl, dude. Well, no, but, but uh, no. Apparently they didn't think they could. So, uh, end of the play. You've got Lord and Lady Capulet, Lord and Lady Montague. They come to the tomb. They're like, our kids died. Crap. And they, What are we going to do about that? Make more? No, they shake hands and they go, all right. I guess, I guess we should stop fighting. End of play. Well, that like that would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now, okay, that's the story. All right, that's the story. A couple teenagers get get in love, and their families are fighting. They don't see a way out, and they end up dead. It's kind of a bummer, but it's been like the most famous love story ever told. You want to know a couple, Ethan, that have come out of that? that you might be familiar with West Side Story West Side Story's one yeah I haven't watched it but I wanna watch it oh yeah we'll get there we'll get there I have no soul so I'll probably not cry I doubt it (laughs) um in the late 1990s early 2000s the Disney company oh god started releasing no direct to video sequels to some of their most popular movies oh god no please no in 1998 they released The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. And it is very, very loosely based on the Romeo and Juliet story. No. So Simba, now the king, has a daughter. And the daughter meets this mm, mysterious bad boy lion who is part of a pride known as the Outsiders. And he looks suspiciously like Scar. And so I'm guessing that's Scar's kid. Uh, so Scar he, didn't actually die. No, he did die. Um, I, I, I but, know. But he belongs to the family. He just has a close family resemblance to his dead uncle. But also, like, he, the bad boy kid just, like, puts on some shades, just, like, gets a leather coat <laughs> with spikes on it, crosses his arms by Beetle. Just, I'm taking your daughter. I'm taking your daughter. What are you going to do about it? Now, How are you doing? There's another one you probably do know about. Huh. And I think... Was it might... another Disney release? No. Okay, good. No. It is an animated movie, though. Oh, God. And I wanted you to tell me if you know about it at all. What is it? Nomeo and Juliet. I... I. That's, <laughs> that's actually a sequel, too. It's... Uh... Oh, well, they have a sequel. Sherlock Gnomes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I started to read the synopsis today, and I just went, why? Why did they actually have to make that? Why did they have to make that? You know, here's the thing about adaptation. Sherlock Gnomes is just trying to figure out the mystery. The mystery is, why'd they kill themselves? <laughs> <laughs> but my point being, like, and, and at the end of that movie, they don't die. And Lion King 2, they don't die. You know, it's, it, 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 the kids' movies, you don't want that. But one character. Yes, I want that. I, <laughs> I want. I want. I want a cup of blood on the side too. <laughs> but I think you're hitting on a good point. 
if you don't have really any reason to look at that story again and have another way to tell it or a new way to tell it that will provide a little bit more insight, why are we doing it? I, mean, I don't know. Here's, here's, it's just theater. Okay. <laughs> here's a benefit I will see. It at least gets kids familiar with the story maybe before they're ready to handle it. You know, I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of death and a lot of like, Ethan at 13, are you ready to get married? No, no, <laughs> but these kids are, I, I haven't like, why would you want to marry another person? Like at the age of 13, you haven't right. planned out your entire life. Right. You know, I don't even know my entire life plan. <laughs> I haven't even started. Right. <laughs> I'm more focused on video games than I am my own life. <laughs> I know, I know, I left a few things out, but I think I hit on the essentials, particularly the parts about the suddenness of teenage love and the feud between the families. These two elements become pretty important to the rest of today's discussion. As I mentioned, the next portion of this episode is a brief section that I had to cut out of episode 77, but it's a great chat and I knew it would come in handy someday. This is a section of a conversation I had with Dr. Paul Gagliardi, who teaches modern drama and film studies at Marquette University, and we both had some pretty similar opinions on whether or not Romeo and Juliet is really the great love story that it's hyped up to be. So let's continue with Dr. Paul Gagliardi and further this discussion on Shakespeare-adapted Romeo and Juliet. I <laughs> I did a production of Romeo and Juliet at a high school level years and years ago in which I was just like, I really want to say some messages with this show. <laughs> and I was a very young director. So I was like, just trying to feel my way around things. Oh, Paul, you're going to love this. I mean, I'm still very proud of that. And I kind of want to restage it again someday with kind of the same measures, but here's what I did. The Montagues were all men. The Capulets were all women. The Montagues could have color in their clothing because as I read through the script, I'm like, they seem to be more driven by passion than rationale. Hmm. And then I looked at the Capulets and I'm like, they seem to be more driven by reason and trying to hold on to their passions. So they were all in tones of uh, black and white and gray. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was so like, ugh. Here is message. Eat it. Eat message. And you, you could have done like a Brechtian thing. Just have like somebody walking on stage, with like message. <laughs> and, and and that would have, I, you know. Uh, I, I like, I, I'm, I'm nodding. Uh, I kind of like that idea. I See, I, you know, I, I, I think there's potential there for sure. Right, right. But, but it was more about the message than it was about mm, the show. Mm. I mean, the one thing I still maintain through that, I've never thought that Romeo and Juliet was the great romance love story no. that everybody says it is. I'm like, it is a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old meeting at a party and going, oh my God, mm -hmm. you're the one. And I'm like, if things would have played out the way they would have normally played out, they would have been broken up in three months. No. Yeah. I, I often, like, the, I remember in college when I first revisited that play, because I had to read it in high school. I did, it didn't register with me. And, and then in college, I was like, oh, you know, I, I, when I started to realize I wanted to become a professor, it's like, I should know these things or like revisit these things. And 
it always struck me as like I I always wondered if it was like just a satire. It was just like mocking oh. mocking these two characters and saying what is what is love, right? And what is like they have no idea, right? And, and they're going to destroy yeah. everybody because they're petulant little kids. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, they still go, it's a tragedy. And I'm like, okay, as a student of theater history, here's what mm -hmm. I know. A tragedy is about a character who has a tragic flaw. And we as the audience see that tragic flaw manifest in this character's downfall. Because their tragic flaw, whatever it is, has been brought about by their own mm -hmm. actions. So which character here has the tragic flaw? I'm like, Romeo? Because he was heartbroken and met a pretty girl at a dance. Juliet, because her parents were forcing her to marry somebody she didn't want to. That didn't sound like either of them have a tragic flaw. And I, I, I hit upon it. And I'd love to see your reaction to this. It's humanity's ability to hold a grudge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you never find out what is the cause of the... The tension between the two families, you don't. It's an ancient grudge brought forth to new yeah. mutiny. That's yeah. what we hear. And then the tragedy is that because these families couldn't get along and they had two kids who were just like, I kind of want to date that person. They were like, hell no. And, and people are going to die for it. Mm -hmm. And they do. Several people die. And then these two young people feel that there's no way out. So they, they take their own lives. That's the tragedy. Get over yourself, grownups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and you know, I realize, and, you know, I got married this year and, you know, having like, you know, dealing with family and, and things of that nature. And, and I'm Italian, right? And, uh, you know, guy, like, what I think that play also, like, what I realize is like the, the, the vendettas, right? That my family, maybe, okay, vendetta is too strong a word, but like, the, like, the, the, the things my family holds on to from generations past, right? Like, I don't even like, I don't even understand what it is. And I, and I think that's like, as you said, like there's the tragedy, right? Like I, where has this come from? Mm -hmm. And no one's willing to get over themselves. And yeah, it's not Romeo and Juliet. It's everybody else. And I, and it's funny, my daughter, my daughter was texting me a while ago. She's in, um, she's a freshman in high school. And she's like, dad, Romeo and Juliet is not a love story. Tell me I'm wrong. I'm like, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Boom. For the final section of today's episode, I chat with Lindsay Robert of Royally Enchanted, a party planning service just north of Denver. Lindsay has turned her theatrical prowess into a great business that gives kids the experiences of a lifetime, as she will explain very soon. Both Lindsay and I were students of Tom Empey, and probably due to his influence, she and I have loved chatting theater with each other since our college days. But for this portion, we continue to explore these two big elements, the impulsive and irrational sense of young love, as well as the ancient grudge. Focusing on these elements leads us into a discussion about two of what we consider the better adaptations of this story. So here it is, my chat with Lindsay, to conclude this episode of Shakespeare-adapted Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> You are probably uh, the benefactor, or at least somebody who remembers one of my most embarrassing stage moments, 
When we were in damn Yankees together uh-huh. in college, well, two of the most embarrassing moments. One was when they choreographed a thing as you as Lola and me as Joe Hardy and you in the locker room uh, coming mm-hmm. to seduce me. And you get up on a bench and they had you slide your entire front down my face and everything. And in rehearsal, do you remember mm-hmm. this? Yeah. In rehearsal, like you ended up, we're staring each other in the eyes and they go, okay, stop. And they go, Aaron. And I look out and I go, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Oh, no. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> that's fun. That's sweet. That that's, that so that's embarrassing. Like that's the most embarrassing. Nobody saw yeah. your butt. No. Like a book didn't fly out. No, 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 no. Wow. Uh, the the other one was uh, I got away with a burp on stage, and I think it was then uh, I was saying goodbye Lola, and then just burp. <laughs> and you even came to me afterwards. You're like, did you just freaking burp? I'm like, I did. Oh, <laughs> oh youth. Yeah. Oh, youth. When everything is embarrassing. Indeed. But it's awesome to see what you've been up to with your business, uh, in royally enchanted. So mm-hmm. this this is not your run of the mill like characters dressing up and attending parties this is like real experiences for these kids right it is it is so i have a a rotating cast of about 30 actors yeah that's awesome Um, it's it's a lot of times like trying to get my poop in a group and getting Mm -hmm. all the squirrels to you know (laughs) go where they're supposed to and that's kind of what it feels like because sometimes actors are not the most reliable or intelligent sometimes. <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> Whoops. That's okay. I think I think they they know. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. It's thousands of costume pieces. Ooh, uh, we do everything pretty much in house, and then we do private events, corporate events, uh, stuff for the community. We just started a nonprofit because we have a uh, a mission for special needs kids, neurodivergent kids specifically, you know, not limited to autism, but I have a son with autism. So that's kind of close and near and dear to me. And my best friend who works with me, her children are extremely medically fragile. So we donate a massive amount of character visits to hospitals, charities, uh, schools, group homes, and underserved communities because children in lower income environments are less likely to be diagnosed either yep. medically, but especially for autism, ADHD, when they're just yep. labeled as problem children. And yeah, they're, they're the weird kids and get the weird in a room somewhere. Ugh, yeah, that's, but that's so great though. I mean, but you have like Wonder Woman and Thor and, uh, yep. you know, uh, Elsa. It's all and- Elsa all day. Elsa will never go away and she's the worst she's the worst well like of all of the Disney princesses she and is Isabella from Encanto they're the exact same character it's just one is Hispanic and one is white that Ah. is literally the only difference between the two they're both mean to their sisters yep but they're far more requested than their (laughs) good counterpart being their sibling and um, she's just a horrible person for the most part, but she'll never go away. Maybe that's what some kids aspire to be. I guess. I, well, they get the pretty dress and a good song. Right? There you go. There you go. That's all it is. But, but see, I love that because that kind of goes 
really well into what we are going to be chatting about today. You know, I gave you the heads up. We're going to be talking about adaptations of Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went down several roads thinking of this discussion with you. I was like, okay, we could see some of the more prominent ones, or we could see just how many there are. Lindsay, oh my God. So many. I cannot even tell you how many there are. I go to Wikipedia and I'm just like, scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh my God, scroll. And there's just so many different takes and different versions. And I'm like, ugh. But then I hit on one really cool article that said, you know, you can do Shakespeare with like a twist. You can do Shakespeare with updated clothing, but keep the original language. You can do all kinds of different conceptual things with it. But at the end of the day, you really have to come back to, are you serving the big emotions and the big life moments that these people are going through? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I'm like, oh, I thought I thought of you immediately to, to talk about this because <laughs> I'm like, that's your daily job is a kid who might have pretty crummy circumstances outside of life, but they get a day where it's just their day. And they get to feel yeah. special and reminded that they're human and they're worthy of love and respect and all that. So, totally. so you deal with big emotions on the daily, but indeed, we were just discussing this and I, I, I included this earlier in the, uh, in the episode with Paul Gagliardi that despite my cynicism about Romeo and Juliet, not being the great romance story that it has classically come to be known. Yep. And you're shaking your head. Yes. It's nope. it, no, it's two teenagers going, oh, my God, he's the one. It's so gross. And he does the classic thing. He stalks her and he tries to peep at her in a window and she catches him and he's like, oh, no, I was here out of love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's love, dude. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, even with all that, you still have these kids having that big emotion for the first time, or maybe one of the first times. And that is something significant in a person's life. Just the recognition that their heart can be touched by another person. Right? Right. So I would suggest that's paramount to getting a Romeo and Juliet adaptation right. What do you think? So I'm, okay. So in my personal life, I have done Romeo and Juliet two or three times. Wow. And I've done one that was classic, like a classic, like period costume piece, Romeo and Juliet, like classic version. I've mm -hmm. done one that was set in the 60s okay. where it was very psychedelic. It was set against <laughs> like the Vietnam War. It was like a statement piece. Yeah. And it was like the pet project of a director who like wanted to, I, I swear she tripped so much acid and smoked so much weed in the sixties. And she just wanted to relive that in her life. And, mm. um, we, it kind of got away from us a little no. bit, but no, it was still enjoyable. It was fun. <laughs> right. It, right. The rumble scene or whatever. I got hit in the face with a trash can lid. So, oh man, on accident. So that was, that was fun. The year after you left Casper, I was in West Side Story. Of course you were. I saw it. I was there. I got nailed in the face so many times during uh, rehearsals. I'm like, guys, settle down. We're not actually fighting. Okay, no. go ahead. <laughs> but, you know, so I guess the moral of the story is, is that, you know, I've done sort of the classic version and like a modernized version of it. It's not my favorite. Yeah. It's not. In 
terms of whether or not I feel it is a worthy or significant piece of theater, I do. I think Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not its finest by any far stretch of the imagination. No. (laughs) Um, But, you know, when, when done well and within the spirit of the piece with uh, a, a grown you know, consenting adults, you know, that's that's good, you know? Right. I don't know if, you know, throwing back to when we were teenagers, God, and being the parent of an almost teenager now, it's like, yeah, I have these feelings. It's like blown out of the water. I'm like, was I this like passionate? I mean, it's like, (laughs) oh my God. It's so much. And, you know, so I think the the spirit of the piece is definitely viewed through the lens of a teenager mm-hmm. because it's it's life and death. It's blah, blah, blah. When in reality, is it? Yeah. Is it really? Is your love story so? But, I mean, when you're 15, 16 years old. It's oh, the biggest man. thing in the world. It's the biggest it's, thing in the world. It is the biggest feeling. And because that's when you actually still have like a hormone left in your body, as opposed to when you get old (laughs) and they all like leak out some like out of your, the tears streaming down your face because your kids are killing you. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And then all your hair falls out and like Mm -hmm. you gain 20 pounds. But so, I mean, definitely the, the feelings there are very true to life in so far as, you know, when a teenager or a young person is quote unquote in love for the, you know, love at first Mm -hmm. sight, blah, blah, blah. It is, it is life or death, but in the great scheme of things, yeah, a broken heart, a broken heart sucks, but it's not going to kill you. No, no. I really do like that idea of you know watching your kid kind of go through it and the broken heart and then they go i'll never feel love again and you're just oh, like oh sweetie oh you're so sweet like yeah ew. but but at the same time one of my favorite things that i learned as a parent is like you know those feelings are still legitimate to that kiddo that's still way legitimate and you can't just be like oh you're a teen you don't know you're fine because i think my mother did that to me and man was i pissed <laughs> <laughs> I stole, I stole the minivan because I was so in love with somebody at the time. I was 15. I was so in love with this boy. And my mom said I couldn't like go see him. And I lived in the boonies. And so to show my mom, I stole the minivan and flipped it in a ditch. That's how big those feelings were. So I could see in Romeo. Those are real feelings. Those are some real feelings. And (laughs) I look back on that now and I was like, what the hell? Like Mm -hmm. this one. Sucked. Like he wasn't. That's all. Like really. Yeah. Get a grip. And see, that's that's exactly what I think about this. But you know, so many of the versions. Like I, I went through so many, and I've seen so few of them. But just reading about them, I was like, yeah, I can see why it didn't land. I can just see why it didn't land. There have been so many though, Lindsay. Like there is, there have been zombie comedies. Okay. Uh, are, are you talking about Warm Bodies? Yes. I love that movie. I heard it was absolutely endearing. I love that movie. And yes, it's about a zombie named R. 
who yes. falls for a girl named Julie. And uh, it's Nicholas Holt. Yes. And even as the undead, he's still just so darn good looking that I. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, there have been kids movies about garden gnomes. Romeo and, and Juliet. Yes. Terrible. Uh, yep. And, and they go off together in the sunset. They make everybody else think they died. And they're like, oh, well, they, they really didn't. I, don't, I haven't actually seen that one because. Yeah. No, thank yeah. you. I talked to Ethan about that. He was not, not, not too pleased. There's, let me see. There's been one where it's like the conflict was between two corporate entities and the, the kids of the CEOs are the ones falling in love. And it's like, okay. That reaches, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I contend that they call it the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet. And you're like, but okay, if you're going by classical standards, then whose tragic flaw is it? Oh, yeah. And you go, well, okay, at the end of the day, I contend that it's humanity and its mm -hmm. ability to not get over shit. I can see that. Because they never say what the grudge is. No, no, they sure don't. You know, I never thought about that. They never say, you know, 13 centuries ago, your great, great uh, grandfather slapped my great grandfather across the face with a glove and challenged him to a duel. And that was it. The Hatfields and the McCoys kind of a thing. Exactly. We have no idea. We have no idea. They no, just couldn't get over it. They just wanted to fight. Oh, yeah. But that brings us more into the ones that I would argue have worked and been a little bit more standouts and kind of the good time pieces for their time. And this was your homework, Lindsay, yeah. to rewatch the Bosler in 1996 Romeo plus Juliet. Oh, yo. Okay, so I was 16 when that movie came no, out. Same. I was 16. I was so in it. And oh, God, I was so in love with Leonardo DiCaprio. I thought oh. it was like painful how in love I was with Leo. Oh, my God. And he still had that floppy hair. And it was oh, on yeah. Tiger Beat and all that. Uh, oh, he was <laughs> So fine. And I felt so connected and so in touch with that rendition of, you know, the, and the music was freaking amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh. Fully, fully uh, curated by MTV. Right. You know, it was so good. And I loved that movie. Watching it as a grown up. <laughs> part of me kind of wishes that I didn't rewatch it uh -huh. because I have this like time capsule of like what it was mm -hmm. at 16 and then watching it as a as a grown-ass woman well john leguizamo is smoking like always we were always sleeping on a john leguizamo but <laughs> i mean it was still i mean it was fine it was good i mean it yeah. was it brought back some warm fuzzy memories yeah yeah and i would i i, I do love that focus on that very impulsive love mm -hmm. and how strongly they both felt it. And, oh my God, there's another one, you know, Claire Danes running away from Paul Rudd. Running away from Paul Rudd. Who runs away from Paul Rudd? I would, I uh. would never, well, I mean, <laughs> they could, he, they could redo it and cast Paul Rudd in it like now. And it would look exactly. It look exactly the same. Yeah. And Leo's all stretched and bloated and everything now. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still, he's still really brilliant. But, yeah, he um, is. It's... But yes. So, I mean, rewatching it as an adult was a very different experience as mm -hmm. watching it as a 
as a youngster. And I could see why, you know, like if high schools are going to do a, you know, their Shakespeare for, you know, why Romeo and Juliet always lands because the kids in that sort of age group really get it. They get it. Yes. Yeah, they absolutely do. And, you know, that one has been criticized a lot for its over magnification of look at how stylized we made this. Like they're, they're all on the beach and they drive, uh, you know, cool convertibles and they all wear Hawaiian clothes and, and there's so much emphasis on Catholic imagery and yes, yes, we get it. You're stylized boss. We get it. But it was still awesome. It was so beautifully shot too. (laughs) Like cinematically, I don't think, I can't think of another, unless you go to like Pulp Fiction, sort of like the way that it was shot. Yeah. Was so good. Mm -hmm. It's still good. Yeah. Like I can get behind that and John Leguizamo and Paul Ritt. Well, and Harold Perrineau as Mercutio. God dang. Man. Oh, but you know what? Here's one thing that I always, when I think about that one, I remember sitting in the theater and the moment it happened, I went, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. You know what moment I'm talking about, Lindsay? Which one? In the tomb at the end, Romeo drinks the potion down. It's all gone. And Juliet wakes up. I'm like, no, you don't do that. She has to wake up and see him dead right next to her and realize the entire plan has failed. Yeah. That to me, I'm like, uh-uh. That that's where you went wrong. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I watched that same scene in the 2013 version with Haley Steinfeld as Juliet. And it was really widely criticized for just kind of having a lack of energy and excitement. It was written by Julian Fellows of Downton Abbey. Oh, it was so weird. Like I, I, I saw some scenes from it and in some parts they would just modernize the language throughout to be, you know, very clippy British. uh, And Mm -hmm. then it would be interspersed with the actual Shakespearean text. And you're like, when are you, can you just like, everybody's just got to decide. Can you do that? But they did this. It's sort of like the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves of of Shakespeare, where it's like, (laughs) am I going to use this horrible British accent? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Some of us will have them, others will not. Ha-ha! <laughs> but they did that in that version, too. She woke up before he died. And they got to have their moment. Uh, yeah, they got to have a kiss, and then he just kind of slumped over. And then, realizing she's in such a pickle, stabs herself in the chest. Yeah. I just go... Ugh. That's not how that was. That's not how that was. It 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 works so much better, for me, anyway, in my opinion. When she wakes up in the tomb going, okay, I'm going to start this new life. We're going to disappear off to Mantua together, live happily ever after. And she wakes up and he's dead right there next to her. Yeah. So now she can't like spring out of the tomb and go, just kidding, mom and dad. I'm okay. I don't know. It it, it kills the moment. For me. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, the reason they do that on screen and in those versions is so that we could have one last... Oh, you know, dramatic. Oh, so poetic. Like, oh, yes. Like, let us have our moment where we are fulfilled and, mm-hmm. you know, 
they get, you know, their, their last moments together, blah, blah, blah. It makes us feel better maybe (laughs) as a people, but it's not the way it was written. No, no, but it does get those two kids out in the theater, pull out their big lighters and let him raise a hand. Oh yeah. And just let it, let it fly. Oh my God. That is the biggest feeling I could ever feel. Of course, she came to before he died and they could see each other. And oh, no. One last time. Buried the notebook. It was Mm -hmm. you. Let's all lay in this bed together and die (laughs) together. It's like, nah. I don't think that's usually how that goes. We still got that awesome garbage song out of that movie. We sure did. Mm -hmm. We got some real good stuff out of that one. Damn right. Damn right. And uh, I I would say for better, for worse. Yeah. It really nailed the teenage romantic impulsive love for me. Yes, it did. Yes, it sure did. Yeah. And then they just had the world falling down on top of them outside of that. So, so Lindsay, I think the other one we ought to be talking about, if we're talking about really successful adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, I brought it up a little while ago because I was in it. West Side Story. Indeed. Ah. I don't care what the haters say. It's still going to be one of my favorite musicals ever. It is a good piece of musical theater. I didn't realize just how good it was until that final production week of that production I was in. And you get to the end and there. Hey, sorry, kids. Uh, This is one of the things uh, when we're getting into Romeo and Juliet adaptations, we know they die at the end. So I'm not spoiling anything for you. But when yeah. they're carrying, yeah, when they're carrying Tony off, and you realize that that Maria has nothing left to live for. Yep. It never bothered me that she didn't die too, and and I I you know I just uh, went on a little hissy fit about no she can't wake up before he dies, but the silence and the dearth of any good feeling mm-hmm. at the end of that show is so effective to me because. It does, in my opinion, hit on the the impulsiveness of romance, but it does also hit on the, hey, guys, can't we just play along? And apparently not. Oh, no. No. You know? Very much so. Yeah. Can't but it. before I sing more praises of it, I do have to talk about some problematic elements of West Side Story. <laughs> You're okay. giving me a little side eye there. Oh, this this is actually kind of interesting. I read a, a a little round table about kind of the problematic issues of uh, Latinx populations in West Side Story and how they're represented. But the original idea when they started concocting, hey, let's make a Romeo and Juliet musical. It was not Puerto Ricans versus white kids. It was Jews versus Catholics. <laughs> So I guess would it have been like kids in yarmulkes and kippa and kippas? Like, would that be the differentiation between the two? Like, it might have been. It might have been. And I, I, I could go ahead and just set myself up for cancellation right now and do a whole bunch of impressions, but I'm not going to. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. The dance at the gym would look real different. Mm-hmm. What band would be playing? I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But it's my understanding that there is kind of um, an unfortunate little thing that triggered them to make it Puerto Ricans versus whites in that that was kind of a little bit of a popular news story at the time. 
And so they went, oh, that'll work. You know, that you just have more Puerto Ricans moving into uh, classically uh, uh, working class white neighborhoods. Right. And they're like, oh, well, that could be it. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, um, because I guess maybe you couldn't go as far as it being, you know, uh, African-American or or black people, because when was when was West Side? 1960. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't work. (laughs) That would have been a little tough, although it would seem somewhat timely. It would have been, but. Oh God, you couldn't have those two sets of folks on the stage together, let alone like share a oh, kid. Oh man. Oh yeah. And the bathroom situation. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of critics treat West Side Story as kind of a problem project because on one hand it was just, okay, let's make this about uh, Puerto Ricans versus whites. At that time, nobody really understood the finer differences of Latinx communities and cultures. One reviewer I read said she was uh, from Dominican descent. And when she first saw it, uh, she's like, I don't really get that. That doesn't seem very familiar to me. I grew up in that area. And they're like, well, it's about uh, Dominicans or that's you, right? Like, no, Puerto Ricans. Um, Puerto Ricans, a little different. Different, different situation. Yeah. And not a lot of people were ready for a musical to feel like such a documentary in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But really, uh, on the surface, I don't think they intended to make a documentary musical. No. They were making Romeo and Juliet. And these just seemed to be two opposing factions. And that was it. Right. So you didn't really have to go too deep. And they did. I think they paid some good attention to uh, the culture and the music. I mean, the song America. America. it's a, a, a wonder, a wonderful like Paso Doble. So it's it's a, it's a great tune. Um, uh, and I, I don't know. I I I hear the criticism. I just don't know if I agree with it. Well, you know that's sort of the the glory of the more classic musicals is that that was just some good tunes and some really good choreography. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was a, it, it is a more dramatic piece. But, you know, I think a lot of times with musical, it's sort of a, escapism a lot of times, at least. And especially yeah. back in that day. Uh, I think, for my money, this is probably the best Romeo and Juliet adaptation in the modern age. Mm-hmm. Because it really respects and pays reverence to both that feeling of younger love mm-hmm. and also the, the feud at hand, the feud. Yeah. you know, the, the ability for humans who are thrust into an unfortunate situation, they can't work things out together. Right. You know, they just can't until it ends in tragedy. Right. And, you know, there's also, so Tony and Maria's family, it's not like they knew each other. No, this was based fully. It wasn't an old timey, family feud this was you are a person of color and not of my culture right and therefore you cannot be together so the prejudicial tone of that is much i think much more relatable Mm -hmm. and you know just saying oh well you guys can't be an item a couple you can't love each other because you are of one ethnicity, you are of another ethnicity, or, you know, uh, you know, as 
child of an interracially married parent, you know, mm-hmm. my, my parents are interracially married. Yeah. It wouldn't have been that long ago. That wasn't even legal. Right. That beef families now, are there longtime family feuds? Not really. Because no. I know that within our communities, it's not like people even talk to each other enough to have a beef. Yeah. There's like no beef because you don't know who your neighbor is. Whereas <laughs> when you are judging someone's worth and value to be a couple based solely on the fact that they are of different races or mm-hmm. you know ethnicities or what religion, whatever, that's where that beef stemmed from. It wasn't yeah. you slapped my great, great, great grandfather with a glove. It's you're brown. Yeah. You're white. Uh-huh. No. Th- that's interesting because that thing came out in 1960. Why Steven Spielberg wanted to redo it in 2021 was an interesting choice to me. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'll confess I've only seen most of it. And I was like, it's well done. It's yeah. well done. They moved some stuff around. They, they had some lines and some songs cut and they've added right. some stuff to make it a little more modern. modern. It's still, it still set in the time it's set in, but I do at least appreciate as, as a, you know, white man who probably has no business trying to be a critic of this at all, but I do appreciate that they paid a lot more respect to, no, we have to cast all of these kids on on the Puerto Rican side with mm-hmm. Hispanic, Hispanic Actual people. Hispanic people. Right. Yeah. And, and like, and at least address some of that issue. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. But then that poor kid who played Tony got all those sexual allegations after him. Anyway. <laughs> no. So bad. Oh God. But. So bad. But I'll say this about West Side Story. And. And this is something we've been talking about. The teenagers go spotting each other across the gym and going, wow, something really big is going to happen. I mean, Tony even has that whole song, uh, something's coming. And he meets her and they fall in love. But I appreciate this version's love a little bit better because of the two people who are in love. I think Tony is like in his 20s or something like that. Right. Right. And and Maria is a little bit younger, but her family has emigrated to America. Uh-huh. They those two have been through some shit. Yeah. And in my opinion, they are a little bit more in touch with themselves than privileged rich kids who could probably fill up a little black book in a matter of a day or two. Right. Um, <laughs> right. I don't know. I appreciate that the fact that they have struggled, it seems that their emotions are more legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're definitely more legitimate to a more intelligent and evolved person. But (laughs) like we said before, when you're a teenager, man, that feels like a legitimate feeling. Like it burns so bad, but no, I, I definitely see where um, they needed to make, you know, Tony and Maria or Romeo and Juliet. They had to make them older because, ew, gross. 
Well, and I think about that too. Like if you think about the original version, the party at the Capulets ends and everybody's going home, but Romeo stays behind. He hides from his two friends so he can sneak around the Capulet estate to try to get another glimpse of Juliet. Whereas Tony in West Side Story sees the girl on the fire escape and climbs up and is respectful when he hears mom and dad inside. And he's like, who's that? Oh, he sounds like a great man. I can't wait to meet him. They say their little goodbyes and it's a beautiful little song. And you're like, okay, that's not a kid completely breaking the law and circumventing things because he's like, this is the biggest thing I've ever felt in my life. Tony wasn't such a peeper. Like he wasn't (laughs) hiding in a bush with his binoculars. Really? But, what soft, yeah. what light through yonder window oh, breaks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely problematic themes in the whole tragic love story of Romeo and Juliet, whether you put an underscore of music with it or, you know, it is. It's, it's interesting that it is one of the, you know, it, it is far more done I think, than than other, you know, Shakespearean shows. So yeah, high schools, they're not going to do those ones that are a little bit more mature. You're not going to see a Richard III at a no. high school level, or you, you, you probably really? are. You just They're just not going to be able to connect to it as big. You know, I mean, what do you do? You say, I want to be the president of the student council, and I don't care who gets in my way. Right. Romeo and Juliet, though, they know those feelings. They do. They've been there. They do. And- to close this out, this is so funny. I directed this at a high school about 12 years ago. Okay. And it was a really, like, I'm pretty proud of it. But as uh, uh, as I've matured as a director, I look back at it and I go, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I could have done differently. I cut out a lot of things to get it down to about two hours long. As the prologue mm-hmm. says, there's two hours traffic of our stage. But I had to keep in Mercutio uh, shocking the nurse. You know, she asks about the time and he points down and he says, I believe it's on the prick of noon. And she runs off shocked. And this is in Shakespeare's text. Uh, and and it got a huge, huge laugh. Oh, yeah. And afterwards, the principal comes to me and she goes, well, <clears throat> I didn't realize Romeo and Juliet was so X rated. And I, 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 my jaw hit the floor. So in Wyoming. And here's your two things that I'm going to leave you with. One. I took out most of the dirty shit. Yeah, you did. (laughs) And two, then this shouldn't be required reading for your freshmen. Indeed. If that's the case. And they will read the entire text and they will read it with the script on one side and the translation on the other Mm -hmm. side and they'll know Mm -hmm. exactly what's going on. So, you know, if if my production offended you, then... uh, I win because I affected your emotions. <laughs> there you go. You know, it's so interesting. Like what I went and saw, like there's the high school version of Chicago recently. Oh boy. And I was like, how are they even going to do that? Yeah. And I guess that's the difference in geography is that the <laughs> noon and we're doing the spread Eagle in the cell block tango. Down, Ooh. you know, down south. <laughs> <laughs> so, Five hours away from me. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? 
What a That's difference it. five hours can make. What a difference five hours can mm-hmm. make. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just people not paying attention to uh, what the required educational stuff that we are. I mean, come on. I, I'm sure they switched to something by Sean Hannity after that. Oh, I'm sure they did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Lisa uh, or the uh, Lauren Boebert, you know, biography after that. Or her uh, manual on theater etiquette. I know, right? <laughs> She's a peach. Gross. Oh, man. As was said in my last Shakespeare-adapted episode on Hamlet, a good adaptation seems to focus on the circumstances that the characters are going through and the big feelings they have as a result. Who can deny that two incredibly powerful feelings are young love and devotion to a feud? Again, I'll say I think devotion to focusing on these two elements will give you a great adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. I want to thank my guests for their contributions today, my son Ethan, Dr. Paul Gagliardi, and Lindsay Robert, who all provided some great conversation and thought. They're all welcome back anytime. And so are you, my Yemenidites. i got a lot more in store, and with your help in sharing this show, we can keep going for another three years. But for now, I'll sign off. Another episode will be in your ears in two weeks, and I'll see you at intermission. Ooh.